0: It's wonderful to be with you this morning. It's such a blessing uh, to be at Balney Chapel. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for everything that you've given to us. It's been quite a period of time that Off The Fence has been working through this whole time of lockdown fully. And we've seen many, many more homeless people enter the city. People that have never been homeless are losing their houses And we're expecting the greatest impact now from the C19 virus. Not so much physically, but the whole thing of finances. We're going to see many people out in the streets. It's going to be a big winter. Our Women at Risk project grew 47% during this period. So an awful lot of tragedy and sadness all around Our schools project have suddenly increased greater and greater. And so many schools are asking us in to help out with many children that live in fear. So there's a great work to be done. And I believe this is the hour of the church. This is what God has led us to. And I believe we can make a great impact within the areas that we work in. We were born for such a time as this and how the whole country needs the church now. Now I've had time to contemplate over this period, especially with some of the uh, things that are going on. After 35 years of ministry and I've had so many periodicals coming through my uh, mailbox And I've been reading through and again and again they're saying the tragedy of the hour is young people falling away from the church. I don't know if it's because of the work that I do or the amount of different things I sit on with the police and the social services, the passer meetings where we look for vulnerable adults and children, the different things that are going on. But I believe that the tragedy of the hour is not with the youth. Not with young people falling away. But what I see so often is those that have been in the ministry falling away. Those that have been elders. Those that have led the church. The rudder is being taken from the ship. And I don't know about you, but I want to finish the race well. I don't want to be... Just a few yards from the end line and fall. I want to go past that line for God. I'm desperate to go past that line for God. You get to a place with the work. That I thought I've heard everything there is to have heard. And then this week again. A minister has fallen That will make a cataclysmic impact within the church, within Brighton. And I so want God to hold me to the end. I'm sure that's what you want as well. So let's look at the Bible. Let's see what it says to give us some tools to get us past that line. We look at a downfall of the king. The first king of Israel. To give you context. Samuel the prophet. God's man. Writes a book. And it covers 150 years. Of the history of Israel. The nation is on the climb. that will culminate in David. The best king. Natural king. That Israel ever had. The time of the Judges was ending. Oh, what a mixed bag they were. Strange old group of people that often ended in tears. But now the people of Israel want a king, like all the other nations around them. Samuel, God's prophet, asked them, Why do you want a king? You've got God as your king. If you get a king, he's going to ask for palaces. He's going to ask for pleasure. He's going to ask for taxes. We have God as our king. But the people says, we want a king like the other nations. Give us a king. So Samuel goes to God. And God says, give them what their hearts desire. So the hunt is on. Samuel looks for God's man. And if any man had been set up for success. It was Saul, the first king of Israel. Everything in his favour. He was physically strong. He was tall. He had a divine call upon him. Samuel, the prophet, to guide him. He was known by God. Saul should have been so successful, but sadly he failed miserably. He lost his crown. He lost God's blessing. He lost God's presence. He lost the kingdom. He lost his friends and finally he lost his life. Such a beginning that would lead to such a defeat. Nation defeated and he commits suicide on a lonely battlefield. Why with so much going for him? It wasn't Israel's fault. It wasn't Samuel's fault. God wasn't to blame. It was all down to Saul. And I want to learn from this. As I get older, I see many people come and go, naming lights, massive entrance but delivered, so little at the end. So I want to learn from Saul that I don't make the same mistakes. What went wrong with him? First, he started to bend the truth and cover it up with half-lie. You see, the Amalekites were the worst of enemies of Israel. They wanted one thing, to destroy the Israelites. God said, you've got to put an end to it. Eradicate them and their possessions from your land. So no longer can they integrate and fight against you internally. You see they would come back again and again and again. With one ambition to destroy the Jews. God says if you don't get rid of them and their property from your land. It's going to come back to bite you throughout the ages. But Saul he thought he knew better than God. Saul saved the king, he saved the best of the possessions, and he kept the livestock. Samuel, God's man, knew about this, God had told him, and he goes to meet Saul. Saul said, blessed be you of the Lord, I have performed the command of the Lord. This was a half-truth. He had fought them. He had destroyed them, but the king and the livestock was alive, and the go and the goods were in the storehouse. Half truth was really a full lie. He blessed Samuel before he spoke the lie. He talk was very big, but the truth was far less. That reminds me of when I was. In a church back in Brighton. It was a brand new church that we'd set up. We had a minister that was from another country. And he'd been telling the people at home that we were growing in revival. That we were over 400 people. The truth were we hadn't even reached 50. And that was a miracle. Well one day they came to see this great revival in Brighton. Yes, he had planted a church. Yes, we were going forward. But it was a half-truth that would would end in tears. I remember being in a conference with a church that don't usually support us. It was a big national conference that was in this church in Brighton. And I opened up one of their periodicals and thought, praise God, there's a whole section On our project called Antifreeze. And I was reading through it. Thinking this is all truth. This is wonderful. Got our logo. And right at the end it said. We as a church started this project 30 years back. And we run it week by week. For Jesus Christ in this city. Half truth that become a full lie. Another one I can think about was when I was in the hospital. <laughs> it must be part of my job. But I was in hospital, I was very, very unwell. And I had the chaplain come round. And he said, oh, where did you come from? I said, uh, Brighton. He asked if I was a Christian. I said, yes, I'm a Christian. And he, he said, what do you do? And I said, oh, we work in the city as a Christian ministry, working with those most at need. And he said, oh, I've got somebody you've got to meet. I said, oh, okay. It'll be wonderful when I feel well enough. We'll do that. He said, oh, yeah, Let, let's do that. He said, oh, I've helped this fellow so much over the years, and he's done a great job down there. You've got to meet him. And I said, who is it? He said, oh, Paul Young. Now, this is quite embarrassing because I've never met him in my life. And I'm thinking, shall I tell him? Shall I tell him? So at the end, I say to him, look, I'm sorry, my friend, I, but I am Paul Young. And he looks at me and he, he kind of looks at me strange and he says, you look nothing like him, and walked away. <laughs> it's a bizarre thing, the ministry that I do. But it's just weird how half truths can become full lies. God, Samuel, the soldiers, and Saul himself knew that Saul was lying. Verse ten. But God says, "I have ob- But Saul says, "I have obeyed the Lord God." And at that very moment, the sheep start bleating, the cattle sounded. His sin had found him out. Sin is always too costly, my friends. It always destroys. Spiritual decay had started in Saul. But at that moment, he's caught in the act, and the cattle and the sheep allowed that day. So that was the first mistake. He started to bend the truth. Second mistake, he could have said sorry at any time. He could have repented before God and put it right with God. But he made excuses. There are people who we know, who've done wrong, but they're so slippery. They duck and dive and they slip around. Saul didn't have to be like that though. We don't ever have to be like that because the door of heaven is always open. I find that the homeless homeless that I work with are masters of it. Excuses often come from people refusing responsibility. Saul says, the people made me do it. He's digging a hole. We saved the cattle and the sheep and the goods to sacrifice to Almighty God. God hadn't said to do that. Good idea, but that wasn't why he kept the goods. He thought it would be wise to keep the spoils of war. Saul, please just repent. He should have said, you're right Samuel, you're right. I haven't finished the job. He was one prayer, just one prayer from forgiveness. But he didn't. And at that moment God knew I can't trust this man to do my will. The people made me do it. It's still the same today. We shift the blame. It was my family. It was the pastor's fault. It was other Christians. The list is endless. We just need to lift our hands to God and say, You're right, God. I am sorry. And then we can move on with the living God and with man. God needs to be first. He needs to have all of us. Another thing that I find staggering is that I have so many people called to the Ministry of Off the Fence. So many people begging for work. And it's all going just right. Until we tell them the wages and suddenly they're not called anymore. One fella... He was so adamant. He was at my door again and again. And we said, this is what we pay. And I think it's a fair wage. And he said, oh, I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning for that kind of wage. Not asking anyone to get out of bed for any wage. We get out of bed to serve the living God, don't we? God said to Saul, the hammer." Amal- lights are pure poison pure poison God could see the future and the terrible acts they would perform against his people Israel but Saul knew better than God I've done this and that for God but God wants you to be obedient right now the past doesn't matter it's today we hold on he wants all of us No hidden cupboards. Saul made excuses for his actions. Excuses instead of putting it right with God. He was sacrificial. Yes, it says that. But he wasn't obedient. He wasn't obedient to the living God. And he said this I've spared the best of the flocks to sacrifice to God. God was saying, I don't want the flocks. I want your obedience. I want you. Then the third mistake was this. In verses 24 to 25. It becomes evident he was only concerned about what people thought about him. He didn't want to lose face. I've sinned because I feared the people. He was the king of Israel. He had God on his side. He wanted to obey their voice rather than God's. He asked Samuel, pardon me. Pardon my sin and help me find favour so I can worship the Lord. Samuel said, you have rejected the Lord. You've rejected my friendship." You feared the people over and above that of God. And his character had been blown. His reputation as a mighty king was more important to him. I believe one of the great faults in England is that so many churches are run by people of good reputation. But their knowledge of God and the Bible is minimal. I was at church only last week and a lady came up. And she was all tearing. She said, I'm so proud of my husband. So proud. I said, tell me about it. He said, oh, he's just become an elder. He's got a great job. He's a great husband. But please now pray that he becomes a Christian. Approved of men, yes. But not approved of God yet. Knowledge and fear of God comes first. Verse 22, the fear of man is the downfall. It's a snare. Saul would lose his crown over the fear of men instead of the fear of God. I desire God's approval alone. I want to walk with those who want to follow God, don't you? Oh, that's what I certainly want to do. Saul said i performed God's command. No, he hadn't. He had performed the command of the people. God looked at the heart, not the social standing or the job that we might have. God looks at our heart, and that's where we want to be, isn't it? I've learned this in the last few years. The important thing is not popularity, but doing the will of God and loving him. Saul lied to remain popular, talked about obeying God when he had not, made excuses instead of apologising to God, tried to buy God's favour by extra sacrificing. He wanted to buy his way out. But his reputation among his people was more important than his character and his walk with God. And finally, he substituted. His will for that of God's will. And even more terrible than all that. God closes communication with him. And finally rejects him as king. Verse 26. He simply disobeyed the word of God. How bad is this? Well I'll tell you how bad. He was only king because God spoke. Everything Saul had Was because God spoke. And he'd forfeited it all. His direction, encouragement, rise to the top spot in the kingdom. Everything was due because God spoke. God's will for our lives takes ultimate precedence. Even if no one understands. We must have the voice of God, mustn't we? Saul wanted his will to be done. God said, okay then, you can have it. You don't want to follow me? Okay, I will take the crown of Israel back and give it to another. Samuel's God's man at the moment left Saul The only time Samuel met Saul again was when God said to Samuel, hunt him down now. I believe God wanted to show Samuel how far down a man can go without the presence of the Almighty. Samuel found Saul, this man anointed to be king in a cave, asking a witch to give him advice. The witch was conjuring up some old demon, but God's man shows up. And the witch suddenly says, what have you done to me, Saul? And God shows up with Samuel and the witch jumps for cover. Samuel said, the end is now coming. Your character is blown. Honesty blown. Integrity blown. Life of devotion gone. Destiny gone. Sin is... Far too costly my friends. Always too costly. Nothing is hidden from the eyes of the almighty. The king would die. His life would end up as a tragedy. I need you God. I so depart desire as you do. To follow hard after him. How do I hold on as a Christian? Right to the end. How do I do it? I think the keys are this. We think of the perfect king that comes along later. Jesus, the king of kings, perfect integrity and honesty, was sent on a mission. He was able to look up from a fly and press his cross and say, Father, I've finished the work. I have done the job you sent me to do perfectly. And God's heart was satisfied forever so that you and I can say each and every day, we're sons and daughters of the living God. He has got a grip on me, help me to obey. We need to live for him, to obey him, not to fear man or run around for reputation before men. We need to keep short accounts with Almighty God. Acknowledge our sin. Because we're sinners saved by grace. Not to hide them. Not to blame other people for them. Not to lie and excuse them. God sees us perfectly. So that we need to say sorry. And repent very quickly. And our lives and usefulness to God Almighty. Depends on that. On our reunion. And union with the living God. That he smothers us. Everything else. Doesn't matter as long. As his warm embrace. Is surrounding us. I want to live as God's man. And not end up ruined. And alone on a battlefield. Without the presence of God. This world. At this extreme time. Needs you. And I to live for him. And to show the world. What is possible. And believe. The best is yet to be. Bony. The best is yet to be. The king will return. So I say. This one last thing to you. That on Christ. And Christ alone the solid rock we stand, all other, all else is sinking sand. We obey a great Saviour and a great God that are looking for men and women that will follow hard after God, keep short accounts and live for Him who gave us everything. Amen.